Hey, what's up everyone? I'm Chelsea. Welcome to the Enneagram of Essence. This podcast is about reminding us of what is good about us deep down in our core. Our essence is something pure, beautiful, and powerful that can never be taken from us and never tainted, no matter what we've been through. It is our true self beneath all the layers of defenses, stories, and neurotic habits that we call our personality. Unfortunately, the Enneagram is often used in a way that reinforces our bad habits. It can become one more way to identify with our ego. But the most important thing I've learned from my Enneagram teachers is that our Enneagram type is actually not who we are. It's what keeps us from being who we are. It is possible to embark upon the epic journey from our ego to our essence. And there are two main tools that bring us there. One is the cultivation of presence, which means we must be in contact with ourselves in the living moment, the unfolding now, by having the courage to connect to our bodies, hearts, and minds. The second tool is to have spiritual disciplines or practices that help us return to this presence again and again. And there are myriad ways of doing this, as my guests on this show demonstrate through their stories about their own epic journeys back home to essence. Thank you so much for joining us today. All the freedom we seek is internal. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with C. John Hildebrand, an Enneagram Type 9. C. John has a background in teaching, social work, and spiritual direction. Currently, he is training to be a chaplain at a Twin Cities area hospital. He originally hails from Wyoming, but has lived in Minnesota for 17 years. John has found a spiritual home at a small multicultural Baptist church in South Minneapolis, but he also draws on a variety of spiritual traditions, including radical Anabaptism, centering prayer, and liberation theologies. All right, so we'll just start today with a little centering practice to get really grounded and show up fully in this moment. So do whatever you need to do to get comfortable, that might include closing your eyes or leaving them open is fine too, but finding some balance in, in the body, a sense of ease and release, as well as some alertness and aliveness. We're holding Holding two opposites in the body here, ease and alertness. 
I'm just noticing in this moment how the body is showing up. In a very visceral way, what are the felt sensations or energies in the body in this moment? And perhaps scanning through from the top of the head all the way through and down to the toes to see if there's any stored tension or places of, of numbness that, that we can bring some loving care to those places. And we might notice as we bring our awareness to the body, there's a sense of groundedness, of solidity, of support that arises. There's also a sense of connection, of contact. both with myself and the body, but also a sense of being connected to everything around me as well. So taking a few more conscious breaths. Feeling the feet on the ground, the body in the chair, or whatever surface we're finding ourselves on. We'll come out of this centering time and into our conversation together. So thank you, John. It's good to have you here. Yeah, good to be with you. Yeah. Um, I want to start us off by just getting us grounded a little bit in, in these essence qualities of type nine. And, and so the Enneagram reminds us who we really are, you know, that, that we're not actually this, this robot running our ego's programming, but that there's, there's something more going on here. So, so for type nine, the words that often get used to describe the essence are wholeness, unity, and being. And so when nines are in presence and embodied and connected to themselves, there's really a sense of like being at home in, in the body and feeling this grounded steadiness, feeling connected to really the whole cosmos. <laughs> um, there's this expansive feeling of connection and, and unity, a unity with all that is, 
while maintaining a connection to myself. <laughs> and, and so this is where nines can get lost in wanting the unity and forgetting, forgetting the connection to self. But when, when nines are present, they're able to be with both. And really it's, it's so interesting that it's, it's embodiment that often is the thing that leads to this presence. It's like remembering that there's a body here, <laughs> that I'm not just a, a floating mind that's ruminating and pre-associating and thinking of happy memories, but that there's a, a grounded being here. And so what nines are really here to teach us, the rest of us humans, is this um, magnificence of just being. Um, that being itself is amazing and enough. That doing, while it can be useful and helpful and wonderful and all those things, is, um, is really secondary to, to being. And so nines are super good at just hanging out and allowing other people to feel that their being is enough just as it is as well. Um, and of course, at some point, it feels like there's a loss of that connection to the unity and the wholeness. And then the personality kicks in and tries to mimic um, the essence by trying to be calm and merging with others and um, trying to maintain, you know, keep the peace. And instead of noticing, like, oh, the peace is already here, <laughs> but, but feeling pressure to kind of be the one to, to create it. So, so that's a little bit of, of the journey of the nine, but I want to just pause here and see um, how that landed with you. And if there's anything that, that stood out or, um, or just how it, affects you to hear that yeah thanks for that that's uh that's a really nice nutshell i think you know of the the guru the nines right um and uh yeah it's um yeah and, and there's so many paradoxes in that right you know and then in the sense that when we do get caught up in the personality and the striving striving for peace which often means disconnecting to, to get to that place of peace mm. that ironically, we don't find it really there. It's, it's more the embodied peace that you described that um, is really where the essence is. Mm. And, and so, yeah, staying within our body, that's really hard for us. Nights. <laughs> yeah. The floating mind, you know, uh, just that, like you said, the ruminating and, you know, thinking about happy memories or fantasizing about things. Those are, that's a big reality for, at least in my experience. And so I think even just the grounded exercise that we did at the beginning of this is something that is always a good thing for nines. Probably could have done a half hour. That would probably be better for me <laughs> just to get fully grounded. But I don't think your podcast listeners would want to do a half hour of grounding exercise. So, um, Or maybe they would, or who knows? Maybe they would. Yeah, maybe. 
Yeah. Well, yes. Thank you for that. So I'm curious if you could um, just take us back a little bit. And, and when you think about yourself as like before you knew about your Enneagram type, before you started doing more contemplative spiritual practices or like self-awareness practices, um, how was your personality showing up? Like, what are, what are some examples of how it would get you into trouble, so to speak, or cause stress? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think um, a little bit about my growing up years, you know, uh, my family moved between my fifth and sixth grade year. Um, we moved to a small town and and that experience was pretty challenging for me. I think I, I think I was kind of just in my, you know, uh, comfortable space where we lived before and then moving to this new space, this brand new place. Plus I was making a transition from elementary school to middle school. Whereas where I, the town we were in, I was gonna still be in elementary school for sixth grade, but where we moved, I was going into middle school. Mm -hmm. And as a young person, I had very, I, well, I still have poor eyesight, but at that time I didn't have contacts. I had these really thick glasses, um, which I'm farsighted, so they make my eyes look really big. Um, so I experienced like some bullying, especially when we got to uh, the small town that we moved to. And I ended up in the hospital with a start of an ulcer because that whole experience was so hard for me. And I think it was, you know, I was kind of being taken out of a peaceful place that I had, you know, built for myself where we were. And then I wasn't able to deal very well with the anxiety of that new move. So, so that was one experience. Um, thankfully, the ulcer never actually happened. I kind of was able to adapt and get through that. Um, but I also think about high school and my experience in high school was really interesting in that I feel like I, I had a class of about 65 people. So pretty small, small town, right? I honestly can say that I think I was friends with every person. I had a relationship with every person in my class. Wow. Right. Right. I, I was, a I was in sports. So I was friends with all the sports people. I was in music and drama. I was friends with all of them. Right. I was, uh, I listened to heavy metal music. Funny enough, right? So I was, I was, I, I hung out with the quote unquote stoner kids, right? And then I was into video games and Dungeons and Dragons. So I also hung out with the quote unquote uh, nerds, as they are were called or unfortunately called. So I, I honestly was friends with everyone, and I think that that was part of that nine dynamic at play okay. back then, even right, that I just had this way of just connecting with everyone and sort of having this, I don't know, just this uh, peaceful, harmonious way of being that I feel maybe it was inviting to others. Um, but uh, yeah, but then where was John in that, right? So that, that, that's always the question, right? In all of that, you know, sort of I'm friends with everybody, where was I? And that 
that was always a little harder to tease out. And I think that's the struggle of the nine, right? Is where's, where's my identity? Is my identity that I'm friends with everybody? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps that was my identity, right? Yeah. Um, but I wasn't very self-aware at that time. But I mean, who is when they're 16 or 17? Right. So looking back in hindsight, do you think you were actually into all of those things? Like, like for your own interest, the sports and the Dungeons and Dragons and all the things you were genuinely enjoying it? I was, yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, that was one of the benefits of being in a small town going to a small high school is that it, you could actually participate in everything, mm, you know, okay. whereas I know I've talked with other friends who've gone to large high schools, you kind of had to pick and choose, right? There just wasn't enough because the commitment was higher to whatever you chose. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was actually interested in all those things, Wow! <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't get into drama till my senior year. Um, okay. So that was, that was kind of late coming, but I didn't yeah. really enjoy it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And what about it's pretty common for nines to have a frequent experience with procrastination or um getting just kind of getting distracted with like whatever's in front of them. <laughs> so so what was that like for you or or maybe sometimes it's still like that but um what is that experience? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if all nines are this way, but um, I think I'm, I'm just an expert at losing track of time <laughs> and, getting, <laughs> and getting pulled into things that were not on the schedule for the day. Mm-hmm. And that's assuming there was a schedule for the day, which uh-huh. there isn't always, right? So, um, that sort of go with the flow idea of approaching life is a very, it's a very comfortable place for me uh, just to be kind of going with the flow. Now, it, of course, at work, it's a little bit different, but, but it particularly like on a day like today, we're talking on a Sunday, you know, I didn't have sort of a set agenda for the day other than talking with you. So uh-huh. Um, so yeah, so that kind of leaves things wide open, which is kind of fun, but it also, it also means that, that things that I probably should be working on, uh, are just kind of, they're not prioritized. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that, and there's a lot of different reasons I think for that. Um, partly because some of those things that I want to prioritize do have some anxiety connected to them. Right. So and then that, and there's also a little bit of perfectionism at play in there too. And I think that's maybe where that one wing comes in, in that, you know, if I get started on this project and that means I'm starting to be invested in it, and that means that I'm going to start evaluating it and I'm not sure if it's gonna turn out the way I want it to turn out. So it's better, I'll just put it off. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's sort of a strange thing but but yeah that that is I think perfectionism is really tied to procrastination for mm. for nines at least in my in my case was there some point in which you and maybe this was through learning the Enneagram or maybe earlier on 
um, was there a point which you realized like, oh, I, I keep doing this thing or like this is my pattern over and over and it, it actually could be otherwise? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I came across the Enneagram in my mid-20s. Um, but I think even before that, I knew that there was this procrastinating tendency. I was very, very familiar with that because that was something that, you know, I had been doing all through school, you know, wait until the day before an assignment to do it, right? Uh -huh. um, until the uh, pressure builds to the point where I can't ignore it anymore. Um, so I was very aware of that procrastinating tendency. I think um, another piece that I was aware of, Chelsea, is, is the, how anger would show up. Uh -huh. um, and, 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 and it would show up at times as like a brief fit of rage. Um, and that, that was something I was aware of even before coming to the Enneagram. Um, you know, like I remember there was one day where a fellow student of mine who I was friends with, obviously, because I was friends with everybody in high school, but this guy was just, I don't remember even what he was doing. He was needling me or whatever. And out of the blue, I don't even remember how I just threw a punch at him. Like, thankfully I missed and it just kind of grazed his chin, hmm. but I think it shocked him and it shocked me. I was like, where did that come from? Uh -huh. right? Yeah, but I think, and it probably wasn't just about him. There were likely a bunch of other things going on that had led up to that moment, but yeah. So I was aware of that and that, and that was, you know, that scares, scared me and made me wonder hmm, what's going on here. Um, but then when I came and came in touch with the Enneagram and figured out that I was a nine and, and learned about how nines tend to repress anger and then it just kind of will, will come out. <laughs> <laughs> An yeah. Unexpected explosion. <laughs> yes. Yes the hands slamming down on the table and everybody's like, what? <laughs> you know, those kind of things. Yeah. So how has your relationship or experience with anger changed over time? Yeah. Well, I think uh, I'm just trying more and more to be aware of when I feel anger. Um, it's still delayed, um, which I don't think is uncommon for a number of the types, right? That mm -hmm. um, anger, you know, I don't even notice that I'm angry in the moment until later as I reflect about what happened. Uh -huh. And I can realize that I um, have some anger about it. However, though, I think that uh, one interesting place where anger has shown up in the last couple of years and part of this has been through my chaplaincy training um, because chaplaincy training is really devoted to self-awareness um, and so i've seen sort of my eight wing show up a little bit more in terms of wanting to defend people um, and that that's been surprising but also i think 
good, right? So it's like noticing that I have this like desire to defend others, um, particularly people who I feel are being treated unfairly. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's popped up a little bit uh, more yeah. recently. And I think it's been really good. Yeah, well, I remember even like the last time we hung out and we went for a walk, there was, um, do you remember this, the dog that was off leash? Oh, and, right. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to explain what happened there? That was so good. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, if I remember right, I, I kind of was a little bit pointed in, in sharing with the owner that, that the dog was not on leash and, uh, and if I remember right, the dog kind of ran up to another person that we were walking near, right? And it was a bigger dog. And that person clearly was expressing a little bit of fear of the dog. Right. And the owner was saying, the owner was saying, uh, oh, he's totally nice. He's not going to do anything. And I think if I remember right, I said, well, he doesn't know that, right? He doesn't know that your dog is safe, right? And so that's why we have leashes. If, remind me if I was that what I said something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, that was exactly it. Yep. And I remember, like, from my experience as a witness to that, it, it just felt so good to me. Um, like, I was really impressed with it, actually, because while it may have sounded like, from your perspective, like pointed or a little, I don't know, maybe like getting on that dog owner's case, um, as a witness, it was amazing to see how eloquently you did that because your words were extremely direct and clear about protecting this person who was afraid of the dog. And at the same time, you had a smile on your face and you felt, you still felt very friendly. You still felt very much like you were engaging with the dog owner in a way that, that was um, respectful. Like you didn't, you know, call them a name or, you know, shout at them or anything. It was just a, an, an appropriate exchange. <laughs> whereas, oh, thank you. <laughs> whereas for me, I, I probably would have just been extremely angry inside and uh, rolled around on that resentment for days, but probably not have said anything. <laughs> <laughs> and you just took care of it in the moment and then it was over, you know? So yeah, it was really, it was really cool for me to, to witness that as a way yeah. that, um, I don't know, like if the other person experienced it as conflict or not, but um, just to address something difficult in, in a way that is respectful of all parties involved and, and then, and then moving on and having it not be like a big deal. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 I, I, I feel like there is that, that is one of the gifts of being a nine is to be able to share hard things with people in a way that it's easier to hear. Um, and, and I've, I feel like that's come up a lot in some of the anti-racism facilitative work that I've done in the past, which, you know, doing anti-racism facilitation is very, uh, it's very hard as a nine because you know that there's likely going to be some conflict in this group, 
even though the groups I've been a part of haven't been super conflictual. But being able to say something or to ask a question that is a little bit pointed, but to do it in a way that, yeah, with a little bit of a smile on the face or just a warmth to it still, direct but warm, yeah, it's a good skill to have. I think it's one of the gifts of being a nine. So when I when I lean into those spaces like anti-racism dialogue groups or other spaces where there could be conflict or like, you know, clinical pastoral education is another one of those spaces where we're doing, I, I'm, I'm with, you know, four other chaplain residents in a residency at a hospital and, and part of what we do is offer constructive feedback to one another. Mm. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Which is nerve wracking. Right. Um, but it's also, I think, really good for, yeah. for me. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and what is, what, I mean, I can imagine, but I don't know what it's like for you. So what is nerve wracking about it? I think it's the, the, the sense that the conflict is going to become so tense and so out of control that I'm not going to be able to handle it. It's going to be too much, right? And that, and I think the ultimate fear would be that it would just all break down and everyone would just shout at each other and then not speak to each other. Ever again. Yes. <laughs> Ever again, right? This is a permanently severed relationship, um, which is ridiculous. I mean, we're in a program where we're committed to being in this until the end. And, um. you know, same with the anti-racism dialogue group people have made a commitment to be a part of this right mm -hmm. but there's still that fear that wow we're gonna sever a relationship here and yeah. um, it's gonna be unrepairable right i think that's some of the fear yeah that makes a lot of sense um especially being that you know unity and wholeness are the essence qualities that the nine is trying to get back to and so to like conflict feels like or could feel like it's going to ruin that like this this yeah. the unity is going to be shattered into a million pieces and that will be unbearable right exactly yeah and there's that idea as a nine that as long as everybody else is good and at peace then i'm at peace right so like if there's conflict or if I have the sense that someone is upset with me about something that I did, you know, my, that's, that's really hard to hold. That's hard to bear, right? Like, oh my gosh, this other person is upset with me mm. because I did something or I didn't do something. Yeah. Right. And so there's that impulse to try to want to, uh, run from that, but also to try to fix it. And that's not always what's needed in the moment. Sometimes we just have to allow people to be upset with us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not easy. No, no. So um, what would you say are some of the things along the way that have have really helped you lean in a little bit more, you know, because the, the, um, 
the virtue of type nine often gets named engagement <laughs> of this, you know, showing up fully and and um, not withdrawing inward, which is the the personality's habit, and but but staying staying with the moment. Like, um, I'm wondering what for you has been helpful along the way in terms of experiences or perhaps teachers or certain spiritual practices maybe that you've discovered that have been helpful with that like what would what would you say about that yeah I mean as far as a like a spiritual practice I think the you know the examen is one that has been helpful for me um, just even taking the time at the end of the day to think about, okay, how was today, you know, and where, where were, where did I feel goodness today, consolation, right? Where, where was there something really positive about today? And then where were there things that were not so positive, one or two things, right? And I think that even just that, taking that time to reflect on the day is really helpful because that it's in those times that I can remember, oh, you know, that thing that happened earlier today with Chelsea, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I think I'm a little bit angry about that. No, there wasn't anything, Chelsea, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but an example, right? Um, you know, I might notice that something that happened actually did make me frustrated. Yeah, if you ever hear a nine say that they're frustrated, they are angry. They're pissed. Yeah. They're pissed, <laughs> yeah, they're pissed. Frustrated is what a nine says when they're pissed. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think that that's helpful. And it also, I think it's also a natural way to interrupt, uh, interrupt inertia, mm. right? Uh, because inertia, in my experience, inertia as a nine can 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 be experienced over days, weeks at a time, right? We're just sort of on autopilot. Yeah. Showing up kinda, but not really engaging, right? Um, so that I think the prayer of examine uh, has been helpful when I have practiced that. And I I tend to ebb and flow a little bit with it. I do it for a while and then I kind of drop off and then I go back to it and um, but it is a good one for me mm -hmm. um, and I think you know like like most people I think spiritual direction uh, therapy really good uh, because um, you know it's thinking thinking about development what are the things that I want to be working on in my life which for a nine is what gets lost mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Even, even, an, even some, I think as a nine, I've been very engaged at times in my life and still forgetting about me, forgetting about myself. Like I'm engaged in several causes or I'm engaged with uh, maybe a couple of relationships that are exciting or going well or whatever. And I'm still not really thinking about my own development and goals. And, mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, those, those are some things that have been helpful. Yeah. So do you, do you find like with spiritual direction, 
So both you and I are trained spiritual directors, <laughs> but when you receive spiritual direction, is it, is it that your director keeps bringing it back to you? Is that the thing that's, that's helpful? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, and you know, he, he uh, has a way of, of doing that, like saying, so what, what has that meant for you? And also asking like, what has that meant for your relationship with the divine, you know, with God? And, and so, um, cause I have a tendency to just talk and, you know, just talk about all these cool things that I have thoughts about. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Always have lots of thought. Yeah, ramble about things, right? I'm a verbal processor. Um, and, and, and a bit unique as an extroverted nine. I'm a bit more extroverted than a lot of nines are. Um, although I've probably slid a little bit as I've gotten older. Um, but yeah, I think that he is really good about saying, oh yeah, well, that's some amazing thoughts that you have there and some cool things that you're thinking about, but you know, what, what's going on for you inside as you think about those? Are you or he'll he'll just point out, oh, I noticed you had a lot of energy around that when you talked mm. about that. Is that something that you that you want to go deeper with? Uh. Right? Because I think I think friends and loved ones of nines, whenever they notice a nine talking about something and there's a lot of energy there, like a heightened sense of energy, that's a sign of something that that we are interested in. And that we're really starting to feel some passion about, but it's very easy just to kind of forget about that later. You know, it could be like six hours later and maybe forgotten that we've even talked about it. <laughs> right. So figuring out how to encourage nines to move from that initial burst of energy around something into engagement. Uh -huh. So there's a little bit of an accountability piece there. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering too about um, your thoughts around discomfort, <laughs> you know, cause you know, the whole, the whole dance for the nine is trying to avoid discomfort, whether that be physical or relational or emotional psychological that anything um it, that disturbs the peace is you know the ego is does not welcome that so but but you have done a lot of activist work and now um you're doing chaplaincy work with people in hospitals both of which i imagine involve some level if not a high level of discomfort at times so i'm just curious about how you relate to that or how you think about discomfort these days or how that has evolved yeah that's a really good question um well you know i think that it's easier for me to sit with the discomfort of others right to uh to be a calm and compassionate presence when others are in that space of 
pain and sorrow. Um, it's easier to do that than to sit with my own discomfort, right? That is related to my own trajectory in life, right? My own sense of um, fear or shame or, um, you know, uh, disconnection, right? Those, those things are harder, I think. And that's, those are the things that I tend to want to numb from, you know, whether it's, you know, spending all day reading a book instead of doing the things that I know that I really need to be working on, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or binging a TV show, which is so, sort of celebrated in our culture nowadays, right? It's like, <laughs> binge 15 episodes in one day, right? It's like, what in the heck? That's like, that's not good for us. That's not good for anybody, right? But particularly for nines, I mean, we can really get lost in TV shows. Um, so yeah, so yeah, to answer that question, I would say, um, yeah, there's, there's actually being present with people who are struggling, um, or being present, um, in situations where there might be, I don't know, in the hospital, there's a lot of, you know, sometimes as a chaplain resident, I get called to code blues, right? Which means a code blue for those that don't know is when, somebody's breathing or heart has potentially stopped. And so they call a code and it's just this unbelievable experience to be present for one of these. Cause there are just, there's probably 30 people that are coming, descending upon the room where this is happening. All of them carrying equipment and pushing equipment with them. And, and there's this just heightened sense of tension in the air because they may have to, you know, do some pretty advanced measures to try to save the person who's coding. Mm -hmm. And as a chaplain, our role is really to be a a kind of a calming presence in that space Mm -hmm. and to not bring a super anxiousness with us. And I find that I can do that. Like I can just kind of be, I can show up for a code blue and I can kind of be a calming presence for the family, if there are family presence and for the staff, right? We're there for the staff as well. Mm-hmm. So in those spaces of discomfort, right? I do okay. I don't have a real problem there. In fact, I feel like I can flourish, but, but discomfort with with what's going on with me, you know, in my life, my heart, that's harder. That's so much easier to want to run from. (laughs) I, for some reason, it just struck me yesterday. I was looking at type nine and noticed the name peacemaker. And and I realized, oh, this whole time I thought that the word was peacekeeper, but it's peacemaker. And just um, getting really curious about like, okay, what is the difference? Because I think there's a difference between a, a peacekeeper keeping the peace and a peacemaker. Um, right. 
Yeah. So right, right. what are your thoughts or experiences of, of the difference there or the tension there? Right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a peacekeeper is sort of, it's an anticipatory space, right? You're, you're sort of on the lookout for potential conflict and, and ready, you know, to, to respond. So it's, it's, you know, it has a, um, um, yeah, it's anticipatory. Whereas peacemaker is, is more reactive. It seems to me, you know, that, Oh, conflict is now showing up. And so what can I do about that? And honestly, I think my experiences of peacemaking in my life have been, you know, um, I think that those have been the spaces where I felt most um, healthy when I'm able to do that, right? Because there is that desire to want to kind of shrink back and step away from conflict, right? Um, because it is uncomfortable. But I think when uh, when nines like myself, I feel like when I'm, when I'm healthy, I can really be supportive to the parties that are in conflict. I think it's actually, I think it's harder when, when, when I am in the conflict, like when it's conflict between me and another person, that to me is harder than being a, being a sort of calming mediator presence between two other people who are in conflict. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. Yep. Yeah. And it also because if, if I'm the one, if I'm the one that's in the conflict, then I know this person is angry with me <laughs> or potentially I'm angry with them and I'm not aware of it. Um, and that could lead to a severing of relationship, right? If this conflict is not, if it continues to grow, yeah. There could be a severing of relationship where we're, whereas if it's two other parties, I'm concerned about them obviously being in conflict with one another, but I'm also, I have a little bit of more of a detached sense there. So it's easier to be present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it seems like the difference as well is the quality of presence between like peacekeeping like you said with this anticipatory feeling it's future oriented it's worrying about what could happen instead of what is actually showing up in the moment um and just being with the moment as it unfolds and being willing to show up for that and and meet it whatever it is <laughs> and right. that's that's hard i mean that's like what this journey is about for every type is coming back to presence it seems like a peacemaker in order to be a peacemaker one would have to be willing to engage in conflict <laughs> yes yeah 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 mm -hmm. which in and nines are not the only type that avoids conflict right i think there's there's a universal universality to that but the motivations for avoiding conflict are unique to nines and that you know there's that fear that of the the, the loss of relationship the fear of of uh, separation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah that the connection that i have with a, with the person is going to be severed 
that's 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 a big fear. But if a nine avoids conflict, like if I avoid conflict with someone, which I don't tend to do, it's almost unbearable to do that. If I were to do that, then then the relationship would atrophy, right? Yeah. So being willing to engage and say, hey, you know, I things are not quite right with us right now. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah. That's which, important. Which can feel like death. Uh, but, <laughs> but mm -hmm. with, with experience, there's a, there, there's a realization that like, that is actually the only way to get back to a peaceful feeling is to address it. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, we are getting close to the end of our time here, but, uh, sure. what I've been doing with all these conversations is ending with a poem that is related to the type. And um, so, so what I would love for us to do is just um, listen to this poem. And the first time I'll read it twice. So the first time through will be just to wrap our minds around it, understand it, the context. And then the second time, I'll read it again. And the invitation is to listen with our whole being, you know, include the heart and the body listening as well. And, and um, to listen for a word or a phrase that pops out to us um, and just speaks to us in, in the moment. So um, the, the poem I have doesn't have a title, but it's by David White. Mm, I love David White. <laughs> great. <It's> great. <laughs> so much of how we are of service to the world has to do with how we belong to the world. The ultimate service of human life is a kind of vitality and giftedness that comes out of a true sense of belonging. The universe is holding its breath waiting for you to take your place. No matter how humble that weight may be or how small that place may be, there is no other part of creation that can substitute for you belonging to the world. So I'll read it one more time and we'll listen for a word or phrase that stands out. So much of how we are of service to the world has to do with how we belong to the world. The ultimate service of human life is a kind of vitality and giftedness that comes out of a true sense of belonging. The universe is holding its breath, waiting for you to take your place. No matter how humble that may be, or how small that place may be, there is no other part of creation that can substitute for you belonging to the world. So anything that popped out for you? Well, yeah, I mean, the whole thing really, but uh, um, yeah, I think that the phrase, the world is, is waiting 
with open breath. Is that what it is? The world it is the, the universe is holding its breath. Is that's that it. it. Uh-huh. Yeah, the universe is holding its breath, waiting for you to take your place among created beings or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Wow. That's really great. That, yeah. Yeah, and it's just that reminder that showing up matters, right? Um, and that um, that when I do, as a nine, show up, I have gifts to bring to the world, right? And the world has gifts for me. But if I close myself off, if I close myself off and don't become who I am fully, then it's a loss to, it's a two-way loss, right? It's a loss for others and it's a loss for me. Yeah. And that's, uh, um, that's a really tragic thing, right? That, that's sort of, I think, some of the tragedy of nineness is when we disappear because uh-huh. uh, of the you know there's the immensity of loss there for yeah for everyone absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah i the the same phrase actually stood out to me too that the universe is holding its breath and then this other line about there is no other part of creation that can substitute for you yeah um, because yeah. i think that is a, a mistake that personality, you know, often tells this lie to nines that your presence doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you show up and no one wants to hear it anyway. And, um, but, but that this beautiful image of the universe holding its breath just for you, (laughs) for each of us, you know, as, as individuals who, um, are part of this whole, like it, it, the wholeness cannot be there until each of us gets to show up in a, in a complete authentic way. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I came across a, a line from, uh, from a poem by T.S. Eliot. Um, and the line is, do I dare disturb the universe? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> do I dare disturb the universe <laughs> question mark <laughs> wow and and the answer for nines is always got to be yes yes it's always got to be yes right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. not maybe not someday <laughs> right yes well John thank you so much for this conversation. This has really been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for asking me. And uh, yeah, I feel like I've uh, learned some new things as well today. You know, remember verbal processor, right? So I feel like <laughs> I've learned some things just by being a part of this. So I appreciate that. Wonderful. A big shout out to singer-songwriter Lynn O'Brien, who provided our theme music for this podcast.
You can find her music and coaching work online at lynnobrien.love. For more on my work, including Enneagram courses, coaching, Enneagram art, and spiritual direction, visit chelseaforbrook.com. Please share this podcast with your friends, and I look forward to having you join us next week for our next epic journey. Until then, may the deep peace of presence be with you.